Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Najarian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we have with us Carter Lee. How are you doing, Carter? I am doing well. Thank you, J.W. How are you? Wonderful. You know, really excited to have you on today. Um, we've been mushed and schmushed together just recently by a, a dear friend, um, and it's been really kind of a, one of the coolest rides I've been on in a while. You know, I meet so many interesting people, Carter, first of all, um, as you know, as you do, because uh, you work, uh, you know, you're a writer, an author, you, you work for the Times, you, you do a lot of interviews, as I do, and so you're always meeting interesting people, but um, we've had the chance to meet just recently and just just hit on so many levels and so many, uh, you know, um, just become kind of overnight friends, and so two things. First of all, it's really uh, great to have you uh, on the show, because I wanted to talk especially about your book and everything, but it's, uh, it's just always fun to talk to you, so I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you for all those kind words. It's very mutual. It's, uh, I always enjoy talking to you. I was very, very excited about this. I don't sleep much as it is. And uh, I was up late coaching a client last night. And, and you know, earlier I referenced I didn't go to bed till 8. I could have gone to bed at 6 in the morning, but I was pretty excited about this. I, I do a bunch of interviews, I'm flattered to say. And for me to get excited for one on this level is saying something. I was like, man, this is cool. I've been a fan of you for so long. For you now to interview me is a true pleasure and honor. So thank you. Well, thank you back. For everybody who doesn't know who Carter Lee is, I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, part of the bio here or give you a, give you the short shot. Um, first of all, author uh, of the book called When Jonathan Cried for Me, The Story of Struggle and Redemption. Um, as you were once diagnosed with PTSD and depression after um, um, living through and surviving childhood sexual abuse at the hands of a pedophile. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I just started reading the book. I'm not done with it, I'll be honest. And it's just, your book has sucked me in. Um, you know, um, I, I love how it starts, Carter, with the, um, it just starts out, who the hell, who the hell is Carter Lee? And it starts out with that great, um, Deal by uh, what? What was the band? Try to think of the band. Uh, Social distortion. I Social think. distortion. That little piece from Social Distortion. It just starts the book out just right. Um, Carter Lee is not only an author of this book. He, you, you're, you're a writer for the Washington Times in, in Washington D.C. Uh, you were uh, your past MMA fighter. I don't know if you still fight. Uh, you have a resume that's as I love it because it's as ADHD as mine is. Um, all over the place, but everything you did was successful. Could you could you just run down the gamut of some of the things you've done because they're so so wide and diverse? It's it's kind of wild. Yeah, sure, and, and uh, thank you. And that's flattering. I um, definitely have a background in entertainment and sports. Um, you know, I acted as a young teenager, and then my dream, though, my whole life, and my escape actually from my childhood, my mental escape, which might not have been the healthiest, was pro wrestling, so I always wanted to do professional wrestling. I did uh, football beforehand, boxing beforehand, finally did a pro wrestling school, and did MMA and pro wrestling at the same time, which I can tell you, um, after you're done, your body feels like it's been through a train wreck. 
And then I did some stand-up comedy after that, and that's when everything's sort of leading into the current journey I'm on now, where I, I wear about eight different hats, and I love each hat equally. Um, how do you go from, first of all, I'm thinking from the PTSD, um, deal, you were telling me earlier that surviving um, child abuse, um, after surviving that, you were, you just, you had a rough time. You were, you were on, um, I'm guessing you're on a kind of a, a bad track. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was, um, filled with a lot of anger. With, with, I was abused from four to seven, um, in this town called, uh, small Bodunk town called uh, Ridgecrest, California. And w from the age seven or eight, we moved to Bakersfield and shortly after there, I'd actually blocked it out. But I was definitely different. And I hadn't remembered that I was abused until I had um, my first flash, my first real flashback of like the memory, which was around 23, I want to say. And wow, I, I didn't uh, deal with it. Well, my whole life, though, to backtrack a bit, I knew I was different because I, when I, I think um, what I could argue, and I don't really consider myself damaged now. I consider myself kind of crazy, but that might be a good thing. But uh. You know, I think the real damage was uh, not only what the uh, pedophile did to me, but for years he would show me triple uh, X pornography, and at the age of four I saw my first triple X porno. So mm -hmm. when I was, um, I, I don't know the leeway of what I can say or not say in this interview as well. No, it's it's it's, it's open. It's, uh, it's mature and adult, so. Excellent. Uh, Sometimes I curve. You want to make a point, let's make it. All right, excellent. So, yeah, I was a fucked up kid. Like, when I was... Um, when I was eight, you know, other kids are playing with uh, G.I. Joe, and at this point I had blocked it out, and I'm literally, like, you know, picturing what it would be like to have sex with my teacher and, you know, do the money shot and all that and things that I can kind of, in, in some ways, you know, I have a very inappropriate sense of humor these days. I, I can kind of right. look back and chuckle and be like, wow, I was a creepy little kid. But you know, <laughs> it's easy for me to do that now. I should say I'm proud I can do that now because I do that without, I can talk about everything without any pain. I'm very proud of my story. I've worked through everything. But you know, my whole life I, I've just been a very, you know, I was a freaky sexual creature from the age of four. And now I think that might be an advantage, I would like to think, with some things. But there's definitely a disadvantage to that. With my escaping pro wrestling you know, he would molest me. I'd watch uh, either a horror movie. He played me a lot of horror movies. I saw, like, The Shining when I was five and The Exorcist and just shit, you know, no kid would see. And I never was innocent. I, I don't remember a period in my life where I was ever innocent. And, you know, there was a lot of anger because I had an overactive right side of the brain because I come home from him doing his thing. And then I'm watching pro wrestling and men bleeding and hitting each other in the head with steel chairs. And when I had my first flashback as an adult, my first um, thought something was weird is actually when I first masturbated as a teenager, and it seemed too familiar. You know, like this is my first time, yet it seems familiar, but I just kind of brushed it off. There was no vivid memory that came back. It was just like a weird fucked up deja vu. But then right. in 2015, I had this flashback, and it, it was overwhelming. And at the time, I was pro wrestling, and I didn't realize, and doing the MMA, and I didn't realize how angry I was because when you're doing sports, very violent sports, four or five days a week, you don't have a lot of energy in your off time, you know, and venting anger, for the record, is never healthy, and I was inadvertently venting anger. Then when I got married and I'm no longer doing, you know, uh, a combat sport, it was very um, evident that I was 
not healthy. And, you know, make a long story short, I, I you know, which was a blessing in disguise, I'm happy to say, but it cost me my marriage. And I, I'm not proud of uh, the human being I'd become at that point. And at 30, I, you know, wasn't in good shape. I had PTSD and, and very overweight and suicidal. And I knew that I, I either needed to change and be, I was tired of living in, you know, such a prison of not only anger, but feeling like, you know, crap about myself, having a bad self-esteem, no self-confidence outside of sports, like not feeling lovable or worthy or anything. And I, right. I was very healthy, and I made myself a deal, and I said, okay, I'm either going to become someone that can enjoy his life or I'm going to end it. And, you know, I went on an awesome, weird, freaking journey that has led me to now talking to you, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I show no signs of PTSD or depression. I'm not on any medications. You know, I lost, at the time, 100 pounds. I think I've gained 20 back, but that's <laughs> all right. That happens. Um, and, you, know, you I, lost it. I found it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, and I, I have found some of it, too, so we, we show that as well. And, you know, good thing I, I manage models. Um, they, they can always make me look a little bit more attractive. But Carter, uh, Carter, let me let me, let me me back you up a little bit and touch on some of these points because, you, you know, you threw out the sexual thing, and, and I want to touch on that a little bit because um, it sounds like just to kind of – First of all, everybody's so black and white about every issue. Yeah, you know, uh, if you watched, if you did a, if you're a kid and you're playing violent games all the time, you are going to turn into some violent kid. If you're watching porno, you're going to turn into some sleazebag, uh, you know, sleazy sleazebag porno guy. If you're, um, if you take out your frustrations about your um, child abuse um, in in a very violent way. Uh, whether it be through MMA fighting or whatever, or just fighting in school, you're going to turn into you're going to end up in prison. And these are all the black and white answers we're always given. Luckily, there's many more shades of gray, um, and uh, you know thousands of Pantone colors. And it sounds like your life was, uh, you know, this big swinging pendulum that went, you know, way way over to the left, way way over to the right in in many different places in your life. Um, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. It sounds like you know. I keep finding out from talking to people that have had disasters happen in their life that the greatest gifts seem to come from the worst disasters. So yeah. even though these things happen to you, it looks like you've ended up on the right side. But I did want to touch on the sexual thing just to start. Uh, did you get, were you, was your inclination to be more violent sexually with your partners or not? No, um, I don't know. If vi- I mean, like, were you very domineering, or were you more... Uh... I, I'm a very, I mean, to this day, I, I, it's just in me to be very dominant, and I definitely line up with the right sexual partners, you know. I, right. I, when I, um, and I'm, I'm single, and when I'm single, I'm single. Um, we can put it that way, but um, and I enjoy my life. But, you know, I have learned, well, I, uh, let me actually, I think this is important to state. Um, the first time I had sex, I did not express it the way I, that was kind of ingrained in me to do so. And uh, I attempted to at first, and she got freaked out. Now, uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but if you can just, if you've seen any triple uh, X porno involving one woman and one man, that's pretty much what you can expect out of me. You know, right. like I, the average guy is like, oh man, I wish my woman would do that or let me do that. And it's like, for me, it's like, well, they pretty much have to, or it's just not going to work. Right. Um, and so. I didn't get a very good reaction from it, and and I felt very small, you know, like oh my god, like and 
I, I felt ashamed, and I shouldn't have, but I did. And even in my marriage, I didn't have sex really the way I wanted to have sex. And I was just too afraid to be like, hey, this is, I didn't have the confidence, you know. Now, when I became healthy, I realized, like, hey, nothing's wrong with me. Like, this is okay. It's not like I'm into, like, you know, barbed wire or anything weird that damages people. <laughs> um, but it's definitely aggressive. I'm an aggressive man. I'm definitely dominant. It, it's um, and I've learned to have conversations with women before that stuff happens, especially if it's in, like, a, you know, a serious relationship, which rarely happens to me these days. And um, even if, you know, it's just casual dating and that, and we're leading to that, I definitely, you know, I don't need any more notches on my belt, and I'm not ashamed of the amount of partners I have. I don't believe in, that, you know, monikers of blood or right. anything like that. But. I just, I've learned, you know, I don't want to have what I call peanut butter and jelly sex. If it's going to be boring sex, I'd rather have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so I'm going to say, hey, this is kind of, you know, what I'm into. And once I started doing that, I man, it was so liberating because I, I realized I'm not the only one like this, and I would line up with the right people, and it's so important for people to be able to express themselves in life with, for who they are in every aspect, and sex is one of them. And I wasn't able to do that for years. And when I was finally able to do that, it, man, it was just, just a, you know, a great feeling for more than one reason, but it was a great feeling, like very cathartic, like you know, being accepted on that level. But, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, um, I, I, violent, yes. Uh, I guess um, I consider him more just dominant and aggressive. I mean, you know, right. no one's getting injured, though. <laughs> no hospital. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, you know, I'd like that you stand up for that because, um, again, everybody goes black and white on or that. Well, that could be a bad, a bad thing. I, th- I think that everybody needs to. It'd be great if everybody could, uh, you know, be comfortable with who they are sexually. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a big part of having of your self esteem. If you're not comfortable with who you are sexually, uh, you're gonna you're gonna walk around um, being self destructive and feeling all kinds of guilt and uh, just you know you're not gonna be deal- you're not gonna have a relationship that's gonna work. It's gonna be rough. it's gonna be tough for you. Exactly. And you usually people who are not having the sex that they'd like to have, what they have to do in order to finish or do whatever is that, you know, mentally they go to another place anyways and they're not focusing right. on the, there's just such an array of shit that comes with that. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a huge gay rights ad, uh, advocate because mm-hmm. it's a civil rights issue, but I know that it kind of hits close to home because I relate on the level of hiding a part of myself on many levels, not only the molestation, um, but just how I was because of that, and I hid that for so long, and I really think that's also why I'm so into that topic because I know, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a homosexual male, but I know what it's like to hide a part of yourself. Right. And be ashamed of it when you shouldn't be, you know, when you shouldn't have to hide it, when you shouldn't be ashamed of it. And well said, you know, I, um, you say things better than I do. I think from here on out, I'll just say ditto. <laughs> no problem. Let me ask you: uh, let's, What made you come out? And, and, and what, I mean, what made you turn around and be able to? I mean, was the book something you wrote first before you told anything? Of just to be cathartic, or were you already telling people? How did how did that all come about? Well, when, when, um, when I became healthy, which is a mixture of my own philosophies mixed with um, a study of quantum physics in the mind, a little bit of logotherapy from founder, you know, uh, Dr. Victor Frankel, who we've discussed how amazing he is. Um, when I then transcended through those issues, I wanted 
it was really in my heart. To be honest, what happened was my um, my one of my business partners, Scott Chambers, brilliant man. He um, he had read this book, and because at this point, for my first time in my life, I'm about 32, and it's four years ago. I'm actually having a healthy dating life, and I don't even mean sex with that, which, of course, that translates to it sometimes. I mean, the first time in my life I can approach women, I can talk to them, I have confidence, and I'm going on like four or five different dates a week, and I'm not doing it trying to be a player or anything. For me, it was empowering. Like, I used to feel so ugly and loveless and, and everything like that, and now... You know, like, and he was blown away by it. And coincidentally, he uh, read a book at the same time called The Game by Neil Strauss, which was like about these pickup artists. And so he calls me one night, wakes me up, it's like 2 in the morning. And he's like, hey, you know, I have an idea. I'm going to invest in a company, and you're going to teach guys how to get women and get laid. And it was such an ego boost that night. I'm like, oh, right on, cool, call me tomorrow. And then when I woke up, I'm like, oh, I really don't like that idea because I don't consider myself a pickup artist. I, I, you know, this is genuine because I have real self-confidence and self-esteem. I said, what I'd like to do is teach others how to get that. And so right. he was down and said, yeah, that's better. So I started doing professional speaking. And this before my book and everything. And I would never share at this point People close to me in my life, except for my family, uh, except for my family, uh, my friends and stuff, they knew my story because, you know, I wasn't ashamed of it anymore. And I was just like, for my family, the pain of realizing, hey, you know, I wasn't a shy kid. I was a fucked up kid. I was molested. And, and, you know, I I have not, I don't have any children that I've made of my own, but I consider my stepson to this day like my own son. And just, you know, being able to, like, man, I don't know, how would I feel if that happened? So I was going to spare him. And then I found I was kind of running into some issues because, you know, I'd be on stage and I'm talking and I'm genuinely trying to help people. I'm like, oh, I have PTSD, this. And then so it's question and answer time after the show. And this shows you how the 90s were hard on me and how sometimes my brain cells don't function the right way because, of course, they're going to say, where'd your PTSD come from? And because I look the way I look, being bigger and bald with tattoos, they, I kind of tend to fit. I was never in the military, but it's easy to, when you hear PTSD, to be like, oh, what branch? You know, so they'd be like, oh, right. you know, what branch? Like, oh, I was in the military. They're like, oh, where'd you get your post-traumatic stress disorder? And I would just be like, oh, I don't go into that. And you know, how unprofessional and messed up. You know, now I've got like a few thousand people looking at me like, okay, well, thanks, wise guru, man. And I'm like, okay, this really isn't working because they're not going to apply the stuff I'm teaching them if they don't fully know who I am. Right. And I really, I just, one day I had this epiphany on many levels just to stick with the current topic. And I'm like, you know what, I need to write a book. And I don't necessarily suggest others to do this, um, although I have to say it's the greatest thing I ever did, even though there's a huge struggle that comes with it. But I quit my job. You know, at this point, I'm single. I, I have responsibilities, but it's not like a family. And how many times in life can we do something like this? So I just quit my job. I sold all my stuff and I to survive and eat and stuff, and I wrote my book. And I hadn't really I, – I, when I first started writing it, it wasn't with the thought process of, okay, I'm going to tell them I was molested as much as, oh, I'll just elude. And it really just hit me. I'm like, i got to tell my story, you know. So right. I, I started writing it down. Then I, you know, I made the uh, painful phone calls I had to the appropriate family members and did that. But, you know, once I got that story out, and that's really what spiraled everything else and, and to what I'm doing to this day. Okay, and I'm going to back you up a little bit because, you know, we jumped from, you know, child molested to PTSD to uh, I got my shit together and, and, and wrote this um, great 
this this book that really helped me, you know, get it all out. But there's that piece in there that says, okay, how, you know, when you had PTSD, were you you were headed down some kind of road? You were, you mentioned violence. Were you violent against others, or did you get oh, yeah. beat up? What what was the deal, or both? Uh, and I don't say this is a big tough guy. I can't really remember one time I got beat up outside of sports. I mean, occasionally. Well, you're six four, first of all, right? You're not a small guy. No, uh, and especially then. I mean, you know, in my later twenties, um, you know, I, I was a good solid two fifty, two sixty. You know, I think two twenty now. But um, it's and I, you know, I had skill. I, I mean, I was a registered lethal weapon in two sports, and I had skill and anger. And, and when someone's skilled in anger, it's very hard to. You know, I was pretty good at what I did. Now, when I was violent and this stuff, I, this was the hardest thing um, to write about, actually. And a lot of people are like, man, it must have been tough right about your childhood. Not really, because I transcended that. But hard to write about is admitting how to become abusive. Um, mm. To this day, it's still very hard for me to say that without choking up. And I'm glad. Right. I'm glad it affects me that way. But, no, I was, um, I was the guy that... You know, sometimes I talk about this in the book, it would transcend in, or it, it would reveal itself in a way where I could almost look her- heroic because, you know, I had a bully complex. If I saw someone getting bullied, you know, even as an adult or someone, like I'd step in, you know. Um, but I remember one time I got cut off in a road here. I live in Houston, even though I, I live a lot of my life in the D.C. area. I'm in Houston right. now, and I got to say I'd like to go on the record of saying after traveling to almost every state in sports, um, if you want to see the worst drivers alive, just come to Houston. Um, <laughs> I've been there, done that. <laughs> oh, my I God. I agree. Whew, the worst. So, uh, you know, when you're not healthy and you've got a temper, it's not a good combo. But I remember one guy cut me off, and then he flicked me off, and I followed them, and I definitely, um, you know, I, I beat him up really bad uh, to the point that it was not, I mean, obviously he doesn't deserve to even get punched once for just being an right. asshole. Um, and, you know, I believe in karma, but that doesn't mean I should be the one to dish it out. Um, so there was that, but I had become pretty abusive to my wife, and not in a sleeping with the enemy type of way movie where, like, I come home, dinner's not made, and I slap her. I don't know if I right. actually ever slapped her. I don't think I did, but abuse comes in many levels, and that's, you know, really what I wanted to also instill in my book is, like, it's not okay to be punching holes in the wall or, or shaking your wife or anyone. Right. Um, but I had become abusive, and it was always a reaction to an action of hers, and I intentionally left any fault of hers out of the book, not only because I respect her very much, and I really respect the fact she still lets me see Christian, my stepson, and she's a great uh, person, but it doesn't matter what she did. I'm responsible for my actions. Right. And, you know, I was just out of control, and she initially left for a very good reason, and I'm glad she did. And... Um, you know, so I, it really manifested when I, there was no longer an outlet. It was ridiculous. I mean, I was out of control. If someone inadvertently confronted me at the line with my bully complex, to me, I wasn't standing up to them. I was standing up to every single person that ever wronged me. You know, I was picked on a lot in high school. I wasn't quite the big buff guy at that point. Right. And I was, you know, being bullied as a kid and everything else. So when someone wronged me, 
yeah, it was like this trigger with my neural net uh, of memories. It's just like, you know, in reality, I'm this crazy, bald, freaking maniac in the middle of the bank yelling at someone <laughs> half my size. In my mind, I'm yelling at, you know, my, my, my pedophile and the guy who picked on me in high school and the guy who shot at me in D.C. And it's, um, you know, it, I was losing it. And if I had kept on that, I would nothing good would have come from that. I would have ended up killed and being put in my place finally or in prison or I know I would have you know going back to the marriage at some point I would have crossed the line and definitely struck her and mm-hmm. to me I've stuff just as bad so I don't say that like ooh thank God I didn't strike her I just say that thing it would have increased um, well, and, me, you know let me, let me ask you because that seemed and I haven't read the whole book but I, that seemed to be one of the parts that I was reading was when you drove up in your driveway and your wife wasn't there she broke up and you were um, you're you know 300 pounds <laughs> You know, just, you know, laying in your foyer, uh, crying, you know, in the fetal position on the floor. I'm guessing, was that, was that the catalyst that kind of made you say, um, I've got to change my ways or, you know, was that the first part? What was, uh, am I on the right track or? When I, yeah, I mean, it was right, it was shortly after that. It was actually the, the same 48 hour period because I had, you know, and I tried putting as much dark humor in there as I could. I want to actually go on the record of saying that, like, my book is not a depressing read for anyone, um, you know, paying attention to the interview, and nor I don't really consider a book about child abuse as much as, like you said in the beginning, brilliantly, struggle and redemption. Um, right. And a roadmap for success. Like, I'm not one of those, you know, self-improvement guys that, that acts like he can help you but doesn't give you anything to follow. Like, I really lay out everything I do. Oh, you mean you just don't leave me sitting there neurotic knowing that I'm all screwed up with it without giving me a couple of things I can use to help myself? Right, with a seven-book <laughs> series that you have to wait for each book. You know, I just want to put everything in one book. I always think that's crap. Um, exactly. It's like they just reaffirm I'm nuts. Half the, the self-improvement people I listen to, like, thanks, I already know I'm crazy. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I walked in, and it really hit me. And, you know, I had passed out on that floor and woke up, you know, <laughs> with dog shit next to me, and my dogs wanted to be fed. And, you know, I, I, I really think at that point it's probably the next day. But, um I, I was done, and I, I uh, went into the bedroom, and I put a shotgun in my mouth, and it was the mixture of actually, you know, and this wasn't a cry for help. I mean, there is no audience. You know, it's just right. me and a shotgun. And um, it, it sounds messed up to people, I'm sure, like, oh, you love your stuff, so now you can do this. Well, you know, that's when you kind of snap. That's what snapping is. You know, you're not thinking logically. And it was tasting the metal of the shotgun and, like, the big double barrel in my mouth. And I'm so glad, like, I was so close. Like, I always tell people half an inch movement of that, you know, freaking finger, and we would not be talking. I, I glanced up, and there's a picture of my stepson, you know. And, man, like, that, that kind of hit me, and I threw the shotgun down, and, the thing I left out of the book because I it just there was no way for me to write it without it sounding over dramatic or distracting away from the part. But when I threw it down, it actually went off. Oh, and, wonderful! And, and, I was going to yeah. ask you. That sounds dangerous. Yes. Um, yeah. As you can see, I'm not making the greatest decisions even when I'm deciding to live. So um, I, I dangerously throw down the shotgun, and you no, know, no one or nothing got hurt. Thank God. But. Also, that loud crack of a double barrel going off is like, whoa, that would have been my head kind of thing. But really, was looking at my stepson, and, 
you know, I'm still not, I, you know, magically become, oh, well, then I just, I'm happy to live now. And I, I was like, okay, well, then if I'm going to live, I'm going to live on my terms, you know, I'm going to be happy. And that was really the catalyst was like, look at what I've become. You know, I'm right. 30 years old. I'm I'm gross at this point. You know, when I say I'm 300 pounds, um, the only part of that that would have been muscle would have been my legs to carry my fat ass around. Like, I mean, I was, you know, I was in my outer shell of obesity. And a lot of people at the time were like, oh, he's just a big guy because I'm tall and I knew what to wear, you know, to <laughs> just look big. But trust me, it all <laughs> fell apart. And, you know, when I took off the four, you know, I think I had size 48 jeans and, and like four X t-shirts and um you know it it was just i I stressed that a lot because it was just a reflection of how i felt on the inside of just like who cares and you know i um that was really the catalyst though it's like wow look at what i've become i've got a shotgun in my mouth and i'm staring at a picture of, of the kid you know, who I consider my own child, and this is, like, the legacy I'm going to leave for him. And I mm-hmm. wanted to be something for him, and I wanted to finally feel like what it feels like to like yourself. I had no idea what that was like. Right. Let me let me, um, let me me just say that it looks like one of the keys that you point to is, is hope. And, um, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot uh, over a few days um, when we were introduced by a um, mutual friend, um, we've had a few hours on the phone and, and barely touched each other's lives uh, as I see it. I find out about more about you all the time. But we, you know, we have some similarities. I was sexually abused when I was young, different age kind of deal. Um, you know, I had uh, major depressions. I had other issues in my life. And one of the things that helped me was um, on accident almost, I, I was pulled out some tapes and it happened to be, it didn't say Les Brown on it, but it happened to be a Les Brown motivational tape. Mm. And right at the worst time when, you know, <laughs> in my fetal position stage, uh, I started hearing that positive message, and I realized I needed lots of that. And um, so I wanted to kind of come back to you and say, once, you, once that, catalyst, you know, that catalyst hits it that tells your brain, you know, <laughs> I, need, I need a serious change. I can't be doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. I need to move and change and do something. Where's the first place you went? What came to you? What either came to you or what's the first thing you did to start getting your positive message together and changing your life? Um, my, um, my dad, who I consider my best friend, and I'm proud to say that, he's, you know, I always tell people, if you think I'm smart on any level, this man makes me look like a simpleton. I've always looked up to him. And he had mailed me a book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Victor Frankel. And so when I threw the shotgun down and, and ruined half of my wall, I, um, and I didn't know what to do. That's a great question because it's like, okay, what do I do from here? Especially like, you know, it's, it's exactly what time it was. But it's not like, you know, you're like, oh, well, then I'll just get up at 2 in the morning and go to the overnight you're, you're pull, therapist. No? You're right. You just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and move on, son. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, now go make something out of your life, you know? Right, exactly. Um, and with the powerful montage playing, you know, music, and it shows the transition. So it's like, what do I do? And there's this book. You said, yeah, I hear the said, Rocky music in the background. Exactly, which is actually on several of my playlists. Um, I'm a big, <laughs> dorky, positive guy, and it's like, you ever want to feel good about being stuck in traffic? Play, play some Rocky soundtrack. Um, you know, that, so anyway, your, your dad had sent you a book? And what did you yeah, say with that? I didn't hear it. Uh, by uh, Dr. Victor Frankel, and I sat down and started reading it. I read it in one sitting. And, you know, it's very, uh, it's one of those books you got to really read a few times to fully absorb. 
But the one thing it did for me right away is it gave me hope. Uh, for the first time during my, uh, you know, epitome of unhealthiness, I felt hope, like, holy crap, you know, I can do this. And I, I also want to stress that at the same time what started helping me was transitioning away from organized religion, which is, is um, designed to give you a, a low self-esteem. Can't do anything without God. Can't do anything without God. And not in like, oh, there's a higher power way, just in right. your work this way. And that makes, with reading Dr. Victor Frankel, I realized I had the power within me. And the very next day, I reread the book again in one sitting. And, you know, I, I loved it. And then, I, you know, what, the first step I took, though, after reading that book, because I'm so, you know, I'm unhealthy. And at this point, I didn't, I didn't even know I had PTSD. I wasn't officially diagnosed. So right. I, um, I, I had seen a marriage counselor, you know, which is really just a divorce counselor. and But that's different. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to see a psychiatrist and see what's going on with me. And then Dr. Peterson is amazing. You know, I still chat with him occasionally this day. I only saw him a few times, you know, and I knew it would be a temporary thing. I just needed to kind of be put on a road. And I also, I did want to be put on medication for a brief amount of time because right. I knew I needed stability immediately. And I, I was yeah. smart enough to know that, like, okay, I feel fine now reading this book, but tomorrow I can snap back into it and have, a you know, another shotgun in my mouth. So, um... I saw him, and then after a few times, you know, he diagnosed me, and after seeing him a few times and expressing my story out loud for the first time in my life in detail, I then just honestly, uh, you know, I told him, I'm just going to go do my own thing, and he was like, I I believe in you, and I um, took medication for about three more weeks than I got off it, and I just went down this journey of looking into an array of different things to see what works best for me. Wow, uh, you know, I in, in recently um, when, when we got to speak, uh, one of the things you talked about a lot about was that getting away from organized religion, and um, and and it was a great conversation that we had because I had found a lot of the same things out um, as recently as you know I I had told you I'd announce it to you, I'd, and it just happened so suddenly recently that I was um, diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer, and um, one of the things that came to mind was when I was, you know, your, your thoughts kind of go crazy at that point. Why, God, what does that mean? And what are my regrets and my resentments? What, uh, have, I, have I forgiven? Am I forgiven? You know, all those things that come to your head, what am I doing? And what have I done with my life? And all that stuff hits you so quickly. And one of the things we both keyed on together was um, spirituality is something that's very important, something that I'm constantly and you're constantly working on, and, uh, and that is about hope and, and about uh, gratitude and about forgiveness and all those wonderful things. But in both our cases, and I, and I don't want to call anybody out any, uh, this is just our cases as far as I know, um, the dogma of, of, the, of any organized religion tended to give us a lot of grief. And while I was stuck in that dogma stage, that was when I was fearful of death. And as soon as I let that go, that's when I, I actually let go of the fear of death and was able to forgive not only others but myself. And um, so I really think it's a, you know, not to call anybody out on religion, it was just an important point for me, and I noted that it was an important point for you. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I just want to say a couple quick things. Uh, one, as a friend of yours, and you uh, officially saying that on a platform like this with your stage for um, prostate cancer, I'm proud of you for just saying that. I'm proud of you on your journey. You're 
we've known each other um, what some might consider a brief amount of time, but we are kindred spirits, and you're an inspiration to me. You've already changed my life in a matter of a few phone calls. You're an incredible human being. Um, and so I just want to kind of tip my hat to you on that. That really uh, just choked, to be honest, uh, choked me up a little bit, that, you know, hearing you say that, and, and for good reasons. And, and I'm, I'm really proud of you, man. You're doing awesome stuff. Hey, well, I appreciate the kind words, and that's—I think—that's why we've had so much. Uh, we've been able to talk so much and have so much fun together. Kind of feel like different brothers, you know, brothers from different mothers, um, yeah. in, in their kinship. To our, our paths were similar yet very different, but they're ending up in the same place, and that is realizing what's important is you know <laughs> what's important to people is always going to be the same thing. It's it's about being acknowledged. It's about being heard. It's about being felt. It's about um, you know. Uh, Hopefully, leaving this planet a little better than we found it, uh, and, and and not just being a big sucking bag of wind that eats stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And to go back to the dogma, I'm not quite as nice as you. I will call out religion. I think it's one of the most horrible things humans have invented. Uh, there's great people in religion. I will specifically say that. I, always, I said in my book, if every Christian was like my mom or like my friend who's a deacon in the church, and believe it or not, this atheist is actually friends with several um, religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if they were all like the people I knew in my life who were playing Christianity or Muslim, um, I wouldn't have an issue with religion. Uh, but they are unfortunately not the main representative right. of that religion. And that's a, probably a separate show, but it, it's, um, I also want to say when I my book, I, um, I wrote it for it to help anyone. You know, you can be very religious and read my book, and you'll probably want to skip a couple chapters. Uh, um, yeah, as soon as you see me quote the REM song, Losing My Religion, go ahead and skip ahead if you're religious. <laughs> um, I challenge you to read it because I think challenging people's beliefs are good. Um, and, I, you know, I wanted to share my story. That was huge. I mean, for 30 years, I was I was a born-again Christian. I was a missionary at one point. You know, I'd done missionary right. work. And, you know, you don't just transition away from that overnight. And, right. you know, that was huge. That was very, very tough um, at the time because your program is, like, feel guilty and even leaving it, you know, you're making Jesus cry. And like now I can look back and kind of laugh at that whole thing. But, you know, yeah, that was a major part of me being held back because I, I did try to seek counseling when I was 18 and 19 for my anger. And at this point, I didn't remember being abused. I knew I was angry. And uh, I was kind of just blaming it on a bad high school life kind of thing and being made fun of and beat up. And, and you know, um, but every time I go to a Christian counselor, like, oh, all the answers you know is right here in this book, and they hold up the Bible, and that's just crap. And like, the Bible's going to teach you about the four areas of the mind and how it affects us physiologically. The Bible's not going to teach us how to resolve issues that are unresolved emotionally. It's, it's not designed for that. And, you know, right. so it, and, and not to mention that, like, you know, talk about feeling guilty about who you are. We're taught to feel guilty of our instinct of a sexual desire if we act on it before marriage, much less the kind of sex I like to have. My God, no pun intended. That, um, you know, it, it, everything about it just made me feel like who I was at the core was just the worst human being alive, you know. And so that was definitely a major part of my improvement is, is getting away from that. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree. My 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 life and what I do and how, what, what life hands me and how I react to it, it's really, you know, um, it's really between me and my creator. Um, and, and I don't, uh, I don't, 
I got away from naming exactly what and who that is. I, to be honest with you, I don't think I'm smart enough to really know, and I don't think anybody else is either. And I think that as soon as you decide that you do know or when somebody else comes up to you and say, I have the answer, I, right. I usually try to run from those people because I figure at that point they've stopped learning. As soon as you decide that you have the answer, you have stopped looking, you have stopped learning, uh, you're done. And that's not who I want to be. I, you know, I, <laughs> my whole life is want, I want to be always open to what uh, the possibilities and the hope and, 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 and bigger and better and doing more. Yeah. Very well said, and quite a wise man, Terry Carter, who is my dad, he said, the more ambiguous my belief becomes, the closer I feel to this higher power, whatever you want to label it, you know. And um, I believe that a lot of people think, you know, he's atheist, he can't be spiritual. I consider myself very spiritual. I I believe in a higher power. I just call mine the universe. I'm not big into labels. Uh, A lot of why I call myself atheist is a mixture of two things. I don't believe in this being that's just watching over my every move and someone who specifically just designed me. But the other reason is if I use any other term than atheist, especially here in the Bible Belt, they just love to pigeonhole you in areas, you know. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, well, no, you're Christian. Like, I guarantee you I'm not a Christian, you know. No, no, you are, you know. Or if I say, oh, yes, you know, I meditated. Well, that's like praying. It's like, you know, let's just nip this in the bud. And uh, I, I just I don't want to be with guilt by association kind of thing. I, think I have the same issue with the word God. Um, I try to stay away yeah. from that word because it automatically sets up people to decide who you are and where you're coming from. Yes. And, oh, uh, you I, know, and I, really, I really hate being labeled that way because if you really want to know who I am, ask me. Right. You know, stop telling exactly. me. And pe- people are always, always there to tell me where I'm at and what I'm doing and how I feel and how I should think and what I should do. And, you know, um, for the longest time I, I went around the world thinking that I hadn't got the memo and everybody knew more than I did and I reveled at doctors and anybody who was smarter than me and, I'm at that place in my life at 55 where I'm realizing that, you know, I can be my own guru. Why does everybody else's intuition have to be better than mine? How about my own intuition? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, and that's such an empowering feeling. And you know, I also want to thank you for uh, even letting me speak about this topic. I, I went on ESPN Radio not too long ago, and I started broaching this, and you would have thought that I started, you know, doing some sort of, Colts chance about to sacrifice a baby lamb or something. I mean, they were like, whoa, 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 we don't talk about that here. And I'm like, okay, well, that's part of the problem in this society. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, I'll abide by their rules. So I really think, you know, this is great that you have such an, an, an open discussion like this. And, you know, I, I would get, I get these things on where people are like, okay, so you don't believe in God. No, not in the sense how you believe in God, you know. Okay, so they look at me like, you know, so you're not a Christian? No. Um, you, you're not agnostic, no. You know, and then they look at me confused, like, what are you? And, and that's the problem with the society. We're always searching for labels. We have to label shit. You know, right. like, well, what are you? You know, and it, it, it's frustrating. You know, and, I, and I, I always think I respond well to that stuff, but people need to, like you said, they need to pigeonhole you. They need to decide who you are. Like, oh, okay. You know, if I say I'm a Christian, they're like, oh, hey, brother, yep, we all know about the risen Christ. You know, if I say I'm Muslim, well, here in Texas, they're going to probably call 911 and think I'm a terrorist. If, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's a one pigeonhole you in so many areas, and it looks so confused that I'm simply okay with, you know, I always tell people, like, I'm not going to pretend to know all the answers, but I, I do know what's not the answer. Right. And that's important to me. You know, I don't need to figure it all out. I don't worry about that. If you are living life concerned about what happens when you die, you are not living life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I told you recently that I got a, a, um, a stage four cancer uh, diagnosis, very extremely aggressive cancer. Um, and one thing that hit me, I had done an interview with Chet Holmes. That's um, uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> who's that? Who's that motivational speaker? Uh, super motivational speaker, uh, Giant Within. Oh, oh, uh, the, uh, Tony Robbins. Yeah, Tony Robbins. Um, business partner Chet Holmes, and one of the things he told me, I didn't even go to my site and get the interview, but he told me off the air that um, one of his big regret was in the three years, or in, the, in the years he had leukemia, he had gone to John of God and every, you know, he had had bones and chickens swung around his head, he had gone to every faith healer and Christians and every, I mean, he had gone to everybody. You know, he took every herb, did macrobiotics, and he was living in fear and desperation, and his biggest regret was that the, uh, all the time he had leukemia was living in fear and desperation. He had seen like he just really didn't. Um, he really wished he could have gone back and just spent that time with his um, family because that was much more important in the end. Um, he's passed away now, um, but he got it in the end. He, he realized that and spent a lot of time with his family at the very end, um, as I understand. But um, when I heard him say that, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm human. I got it. I'm smart. I, I, I got what he said. But when I got the um, diagnosis, um, it rang like the Liberty Bell in my head saying to me, dude, do not come from fear. Do not come from all those resentments and, and, and all that stuff. When, when you think about this, you need to think about it in a, in a whole different way. It, it's a gift that's going to, to, you know, to get you off your butt and become the authentic you you need to be, not this thing that you have to fear and fight and, and dwell on. Uh, so, um, thank God for Chet because he just he set me up perfect um, in order to, to 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 fight and to to deal with the diagnosis because I, I had a bad diagnosis but actually my prognosis is quite good so um, really important that, words. That's great to hear and that's you know I am working on a project now about the power of what one person can do you know one person can change uh, a chain of events for numerous people I, I, I know that uh, Chad would be very happy that he instilled that in you and I know he'd be very very I know he was proud of you I know he'd be very proud of you to this day um, and you know I love talking to you man because every time I talk to you like you know, whenever I get off the phone, I have this, I, I'm always energetic, and but it's a different type of energy, you know, and I'm just like, man, like you inspire me to be like, all right, what am I doing today, you know, to really impact someone, because you impact me so hard, and, and um, I am honored to say I've met you and can call you friend, I really am, like you're an incredible human being, you're brave, you're very intelligent and well-spoken, and <laughs> this, the way you're handling this, you know, I'd like to think I would do the same thing, and I'm not going to pretend to even remotely know what that's like to deal with a diagnosis like that, you know, um, and I, I've, you know, like many out there and probably almost all of us with, with diseases out there in this society, with someone close to us has been affected by these things, you know, right. and some handle it better than others, and some set themselves up, and I hate to say it like this, but, you know, I had this, I'll call him an acquaintance, I could never really call him a friend because we could just never connect on a couple levels, but I loved the guy, but he had a very negative disposition in life, and he was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer, and um, I, I swear he sped it along with his attitude. He really did. I saw him. Attitude is, I think attitude, I was talked to, I've talked to naturopaths, and I've talked to, you know, 
all kinds of uh, law of attraction people and you know and, and and doctors too and you know going to Norse uh, Cancer Center at U- USC um, right now and everybody says we could do everything in the world for you but if your attitude's not right it is, you, you, it's it's like might as well not be doing anything everybody agrees yeah. whether it's the medical community or the uh, the naturopath community they're they're all on the same page that way. Absolutely, and, and, and uh, a fact that's very interesting to mention, and I, I will not quote numbers because, you know, I, I don't have it in front of me. I know I'll probably get the number wrong, but our attitude affects our, our whole physiologically, uh, our body physiologically, and our attitude actually affects white blood cells. I think, I honestly think it was Tony Robbins, I heard him say this years ago, and it was before I even got on a positive row, but he says, I wake up every day and I say I don't get sick. I started doing that. I'm a great example to this because I sleep maybe four hours a night, which some would argue isn't good. My diet is that of an 18-year-old fraternity kid, you know. <laughs> I uh, don't have the healthiest lifestyle. I recently made the switch over from cigarettes to electronic cigarettes, I'm proud to say, but I should be sick all the fucking time. I really should, and I have been yeah. sick twice in the last 15 years. Um and, and, and that goes to show you, you know, that like what attitude does. And I definitely, I saw him speed along the process, and I had a, a relative, my, and he has passed, but he, you know, my uncle um, Randy, uh, you know, rest his soul, he um, was diagnosed with lung cancer, you know, very late stage. And when he wow. was diagnosed, they, they gave him a handful of months, and he lived nine more years. There you go. Uh, that That's crazy to me, you know, it really is. And if I misquoted the nine years, I apologize any relatives listening, you know, but it was definitely longer than, uh, much longer than what he was supposed to live through. And right. I know that it was a mixture of his attitude and just the surrounding, you know, I'm a big energy guy and just the love of the family. And, you know, I have a great positive family that, you know, we don't sulk in our, our shit and the muck and crap. We uh, we don't mourn the living, you know, and, and we're always positive when we visit them. There you go. And, you know, the, the doctors were amazed. You know, it's always great when I'm a big science guy, all that stuff. I also love it when, you know, they're just befuddled. They're like, we have no idea how he's living, you know. And I, I, I <laughs> like, you know, and they would say, like, we know why is his attitude and the love and all that. But medically speaking, this is crazy, you know. And um, there's so many cases like that, and that just goes to show you what attitude does and what love does and, and you know, embracing your current role in life and not in a negative way, but like, okay, this is, you know, this is what I have. I feel like I'm telling your story because you're the man doing this. This is why I look up to you. Well, so like, well, well no, I appreciate that, uh, Carter, but, you know, this all comes down to, you know, when Jonathan cried for me, your book, I when I'm going through it, I'm seeing the foundation and the cornerstone of everything I'm going through. And that's why we're talking today because, uh, you know, it's like how does somebody who's, you know, who has a life like yours or even a life like mine, I mean, we, we parallel on so many places, get to that place in their life where they're so full of gratitude and hope and, and, and want to teach that and want to help others. How, how do you get there? Um, and your book is, you know, if, if, I, if I was writing a book, this is the kind of book I would write, and that is, you know, to, to, to show people where, you know, where you came from and how messed up it, it was, but you're still, you're, in fact, let's talk about the, the book and what you now teach. When you go speak and you talk to people, what are you, what are you teaching them? Could you go over that a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, you know, my, my speaking style is very unique, you know, um, and, and that's why I refuse to be called a motivational speaker because I, I don't refuse if someone's called me that great. I'm glad I can motivate. But um, I'm not against it. It's just when you think of a motivational speaker, you, you picture this guy on, you know, kind of clapping and singing. And, right. You know, or, you know, this is what we're doing kind of thing. Um, and it, it's – um. That's not my style. I, I introduce a lot of comedy on stage because I am a natural entertainer. Even though I want to do positive things in life and inspire people, I love making people laugh. I love offending people and making them laugh where they feel guilty for laughing. And that's just a side note, fun fact on Carter. Um, but I, I talk about, I briefly go into my story, but my goal when I speak, and this depends how long I have to talk, is to reveal the basics of the four areas of the mind, um, specifically four areas of the mind, the, the thalamus, the amygdala, the uh, frontal lobe, and the hippocampus. And, um, to you know, because here's the deal. Like, people hold themselves back a lot of times, and it, 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 all this shit is in our mind. And it's the greatest supercomputer you're ever going to own, yet we never bother to learn the manual on the greatest supercomputer we're going to own. And right. so it runs in automatic, and literally the frontal lobe falls asleep, and that's the thing that, you know, allows us to make decisions. And what ends up happening is when we run on automatic, our brain is based on patterns. So if you, our society is very, you could have the greatest life in the world growing up with your family, but our, our society is very negative. So your pattern is just disposed to being a negative pattern. So if you don't change that, you're going to be stuck in a negative pattern. So I reveal that. I also I go into the basics of quantum physics, quantum mechanics, not in the, you know, a lot of people who are, and I, I like this stuff too, especially, you know, I'll just say like in an altered state of mind of like, ooh, I wonder what happens here and here, and that stuff's fine, but I love looking at the facts uh, of what quantum mechanics have taught us um, because they are able to prove what Taoists have been saying for thousands of years when it comes to energy. And so I kind of go into that and just overall mindset. And one thing I would like to, and I, I think this is one thing you don't know about me, and I've read a couple articles on it, um, but I didn't mention it in my book only because I didn't want too much in my book where they're just like, Jesus Christ, is there anything this guy hasn't gone through, you know? <laughs> here's, the, here's the kitchen sink, right? Right, exactly. And I was like, I'll say this later, but it's really on my heart to talk about this lately. I actually, it's a non-fatal disease, but I have a, a, a disease, very rare, is, uh, affects 0.1% of people. 0.1% of people in America, but it's called cluster headaches. And I wish they would call it something else because then people think of migraines. It's not. It's actually, this is no exaggeration. It's known as humankind's most painful disease. On the pain scale, it would literally be less painful if you started sawing off my leg. Um, wow. Soft. And um, that's me quoting doctors out there. That's not me saying that. And the greatest way to describe what it feels like is a hot poker going through your eyes. And for um, up until a few months ago, I would get about three of these a day. And I would finish speeches if I had it. I would, you know, I had a radio show for a while. I, I, I worked through it. Uh, sometimes it would be really bad. I mean, I definitely incurred some injuries from it. It would be so bad I'd pass out. I'd wake up with chipped teeth and stuff. But I, I share that. And uh, on a side note, anyone listening that has cluster headaches, uh, just look into uh, vitamin D3 and omega-3. And I'm proud to say I went from three headaches a day to about two a week. And to me, that's heaven. And uh, it's amazing. And that's very new in my life. And so, you know, for the you know the last 10, 11 years, um, it's just been really painful. And I, uh, I bring that up because, you know, one of the things I stress a lot 
uh, in my speeches is the power of the mind because you can overcome anything with the power of the mind. You know, I have finished speeches in front of thousands of people, and I feel like this hot poker is going to my eye. Now, it's kind of comical for maybe all the wrong reasons, but, you know, my eye's turning red, and there's secretion coming out, and my, I'm bald. You know, I shave my head, some of the veins sticking out. I, I probably look like you know, I'm transforming into in the, the Hulk or something, and it's definitely ruined a couple of days of mine in the past, but I power through it. I refuse. You know, and there's certain triggers like drinking, Effects and I would never let that hold me back. I, you know, I if I wanted to celebrate something, I would drink. You know, I don't care if it's going to give me a headache. I'm going to live my life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's um, the power of the mind is amazing. The other thing I stress is also just uh, the power of positivity and love and how one person can make a difference. You know, we always go, well, we we can't change the world. Well, no, but you can change your surroundings. And if other people just took that idea of I can change my surroundings before you know it, we would have this great chain reaction of positivity. And right. it makes a difference, you know. And, and I really what I try to do is I try to make positivity cool because positivity has this horrible stigma to it of, of just the hokey guy. You know, I used to work for a motivational speaker. I'm, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to plug the guy. But, you know, he's one of those guys that, like, you feel great when you listen to him. When you turn them off, it's like I, I compare it to church. On Sundays, you feel great. On Wednesday, you're cutting people off and flicking them off in traffic, you know. It's like, oh, as long as I listen to this guy, I feel great. As soon as the tape's done, you know, I'm back to being in my muck and shit. And it, it, it's, I try to make positivity cool in the sense that, like, you know, I don't consider myself a dork because I say positive affirmations every day. I, I think right. you're a dork if you don't. You know, like, it's not cool to be beating yourself. It's not cool to have an inner voice saying, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm not worth this. That's not cool to me. You know, if that's cool, then I'm going to be the dork. That's fine with me. You know, I already like Star Wars. Maybe I fit that mold. <laughs> no, you know, it's something you, I found that you have to work on. Um, you know, it's not just a matter of, it's not even a matter of just getting up in the morning and saying positive affirmations. So if you did that every day, you'd be so much more farther along than you are. You know, I know you meditate. Um, it's, it's the way you handle situations and deal with situations. Um, believe me, I uh, have anger and all those kind of things. But, you, you know, stepping back and seeing how you're dealing, you know, and changing that, these, these are things that you have to be – to me, it's about awareness. Um, you know, Absolutely. being aware of how you're reacting is really important. Um, because I've gone to those conferences, you go to a three-day conference, and you walk out of there on Monday feeling pumped, I'm going to take over the world, I'm going to either do a bunch of sales, or I'm going to, you know, something's going to, you know, I'm just going to turn the, take the world over. And then, you know, by that next Friday, you're back into all the same routines, and it's like nothing ever happened. Um, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I get that whole motivation versus um, the personal development. That's, right. that's how I would break it down, if that makes yeah, sense to you. I, I, and that is very well said. I'm going to use that term for now on. I, I've, I've always got a struggle on how to explain it. And um, where were you two years ago when I wrote this book? Um, but <laughs> it was very well said. And, yes, and also it's very important, you know, to eliminate negativity in your life. And that's where a lot of my clients, when I do the one-on-one coaching or, or counseling, whatever you want to call it, and even when I speak, like you can see the fear in their eyes, well, I don't want to lose my friend Stacy. You know, I love her, right, but she's negative. And, and that doesn't mean to say, oh, bye, you know, hit the bricks. 
you say, look, I'm going down this journey. I want you to go down this journey with me, but if you're going to remain the person who constantly bitches and gripes and complains or is negative and depressed, I can't deal with you. I mean, I, it was hard. I lost a lot of friends when I was becoming positive. Right. And, I, and, you know, a couple actually came along with me, one of them being my uh, current media manager, Chris Gaskell, brilliant man. We kind of went through the same thing together, and it was really awesome. But, you know, it's tough. You know, being positive is actually a tough thing because you're right. I think you just said it where it's an ongoing process. But so is negativity, and you're going to be one or the other throughout your life, you know. Um, until the day that, that we pass, and I'm choosing positivity. And that doesn't mean every day is just this golden ray of sunshine with unicorns crapping rainbows. Uh, you know, you know, tough things happen, but it is, the mindset is what's important, you know. And there's right. a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is the idea of knowing you're going to be okay and you will be happy again if you're going through a tough time. You know, we don't have to fake to be happy all the time. I'm proud to say that 90% uh, of you know, the last six years, I would honestly say 90%. I've been very, very happy. But, you know, sooner or later, tragedy will strike, as it does everyone. And when you have the right mindset, it's easier to transition through that time of peril to then get to uh, another high in life. No, you can't. How can you say it better? I think uh, you kind of hit the nail. I, lo- I love the way you said that because um, I, I, you know, I went down that road of trying to, Pull either pull people through or push people through, and I've learned that just you lead by example, and the people that want and are ready to follow that you know when the students ready the teacher appears kind of thing, they they just show up. And in my my case, I lost all my friends. Nobody came with me, and it was kind of sad. But um, I'm really happy that some people did come through with you. But the friends I have now and the friends I had you know pre uh, my issues night and day, and, you know, I, I, I empathize with them, but I can't sympathize. Does that make sense? Yes, same here. I mean, I, I really, you know, I want to stress I only have a, a couple of those friends left from that era. Like, the people in my life now, uh, you know, 75% of them are, are new in this journey once I became positive. And um, it's, it, 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 at the time, kind of bittersweet and sad when you're kind of losing relationships, but you know it's for the better. And, you know, I mean, and beyond eliminating negative people from your life, and by eliminating, I don't mean kill, for the record, anyone listening out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not Dexter. You're not going to – you said it earlier. You don't have to become Dexter, but <laughs> – Yeah, um, but, you know, be careful of the intake you take of uh, negative movies and even music. You know, I'm a big music guy, and I love all genres of music. You but, can tell from your book, yeah. Big had a big had a big effect on you, music. Oh yes, absolutely. The first article I wrote for the Washington Times Communities was "Music Affects the Psyche," and um, right. "Time Truth Heart." I actually just got uh, tattooed on me "Time Truth Heart" with the social distortion logo of the skeleton, you know, drinking a martini and smoking a cigarette. It's kind of apropos, but for a lot of areas of my life. But um, it, it's I love music, and I've been involved in music on different levels, on many business levels, and I am about to do it again, which I'm excited to say. But it's, it, you know, I, the ratio of how uh, during the day of how much Slipknot, Slayer, and Tupac I listen to is very minimal. Who I love all of those artists is very minimal compared to uh, more positive uh, people that I listen to, you know, um, like Muse or The Killers or Billy Joel or just instrumental stuff. And, right. you know, really when I started kind of putting a cap on, okay, I don't need to listen to six Metallica CDs in a day. 
it affects you, you know, and they go a million miles an hour, and they're very aggressive, and I'm not knocking on Metallica. It's therapeutic if you use it in the right way. Use it in the wrong way, you know, it's probably no coincidence that a lot of times I was losing my temper on the road. I'm also jamming either gangster rap music or, or, you know, thrash metal. And I think I would have lost my temper at that point if I was listening to Neil Diamond, who I'm a big fan of. But I, I'm pretty sure that it just it made me go from zero to 100 a lot easier in two seconds, you know. And eliminating movies and just the surroundings of what – and a lot of times people watch things and they don't realize it's negative. Like, oh, you know, this video game is not negative. I'm having fun. You just killed you – know, like all you're doing is killing people for the last four hours. You know, in this game, like that's negative to me. It's not negative in like, oh, it's bad. You shouldn't do it. But if you're if you're playing hours and hours of video games, you're listening to hours and hours of depressing music or aggressive music, and then you're watching hours and hours of depressing television or or, or, or negative television and movies, it's going to affect you. And, and putting a cap on that made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, I would add to that because uh, you know I'm, I, I hate because I hate people to get all black and white. Listening to bad stuff is bad for you. Um, I used to listen to ACDC Highway to Hell before I'd go out to a party, and that yeah. would pump me up. Now that didn't mean that I was uh, you know worshiping the devil or cared about heck, heaven, you know, heaven or hell, or we're making we're making any determinations on that point. Uh, it just it was the music that pumped me up. And uh, when I wanted to mellow out, I'd live and listen to some Cat Stevens. Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean I wanted to become Muslim or that I wanted to. Uh, right. Yeah. Or you're hopping on a peace train. Or, um, <laughs> exactly. It just it just was whatever you know. I, I would say I would just say that whatever it, like really fusion jazz depresses my soul. And there's people out there that love fusion jazz. Yeah. I have no problem except it, it it really depresses my soul. I can't listen to it without getting depressed. That's Absolutely. me. And so it's like, so I don't care what the words are or what the message is in the song. If it's depressing me, I know it. I, <laughs> I go the other way. So exactly. I would just say if the music makes you feel good, great. Yeah. If it's making you feel angry and get get in another place where you don't want to be, you need to, you need to back up. Exactly, and it doesn't mean you have to eliminate, like, I'll never listen to them again, just careful how long you listen to them. And I'm with you on the fusion jazz thing. I mean, if I listen to fusion jazz, I want to stop being productive. I need to buy a bottle of 151 and then start <laughs> drinking and, and relive every regret I've ever had. Oh I don't my know God. what about that genre, but I'm just like, oh, does this music come with razor blades so I have options? You know, there's <laughs> something about it. Let's talk about Carter. Let's talk about your writing because obviously you're 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 an author, and um, words are very important to you in the music because you 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 note them a lot in your book. So you're you're, I'm a kind of guy who listens to the music. You're a guy you listen. You're you're paying attention to some words there. So words are very important to you. Um, Also, you write for the Washington Times, and I believe you have like. I, I, was it 850,000 readers, or, or I, I don't know what the number is. You got some major readers, and um, yeah, so you're good I, in that I, social media kind of space or that media space. Yeah, and no, I have. A, um, I'm very honored and flattered and humbled. Uh, the, the amount of fans I have now is very touching, um, and I would request all of you to send me one dollar. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> It's amazing. I get hundreds of thousands of readers in the Washington Times. I blog for Red Orbit, um, and, and which I enjoy blogging and, and being a – it's two different types of writing, and I appreciate both of them. Um, 
Yeah, I have a lot of fun with both. But, um, you know, I get tens of thousands of readers there. Hundreds of thousands of people watch my show, Carter Lee Presents the Fever, on YouTube. And, you know, it, um, I've got a pretty decent following on Twitter. Uh, I think it's 10,000 followers and 4,000 Facebook likes. And it, it's um, very flattering to think that, that there's not one day that doesn't go by that I don't appreciate it and I don't forget where I came from, you know, uh, on many levels, not only where I came from, where my blueprint wasn't supposed to be this guy, but also, you know, I, I didn't start off with this fan base. Um, so it's grown very quickly in a matter of two years, and uh, we actually just kind of hit the two-year anniversary of when I started writing my book. It was this month, two years ago, and uh, as soon as I started writing it, this stuff just started happening, and it's, it's incredible. I get I get hate mail every day, which you know you're doing something right, and I get exactly. a lot more fan mail. And anytime <laughs> someone sends me fan mail and it's very touching. Um, it, it always affects me in an emotional way, and I'm grateful to say that I never take it for granted. So if anyone is paying attention to this interview, it's one of those fans that I really, really thank you for um, you know, letting me be in your life. I appreciate it, and I encourage everyone. I try to respond to every email the best I can. And um, you know, No, you do. Actually, you know, when we got together, it's because uh, a mutual friend of ours, um, it was an interview that I had done with somebody, and you mentioned to them that 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 the interview had helped you and 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 somewhat changed your life a bit. And um, I I told the uh, the person I had interviewed, hey, I'd love to meet that guy and 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 hear that story because how often when you're writing this stuff do you get do you always get the feed this kind of feedback? I mean, I write stuff all the time, and I every once in a while I hear that you know what I've written or what I've done has helped somebody, and you know I'm. Yeah, show them, show me the money. Yes, but I'm also a guy who likes that boy. So <laughs> it was it was nice. So I called you to meet you to to, to find out more about that, and um, talk about appreciating somebody. You know, one of those people that come forward and actually tell somebody uh, that they're appreciated really makes a huge difference in a writer's life. And, and yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to take a moment to actually talk about that story. Um, I can honestly, and this is not an exaggeration, so. Um, if it wasn't for that interview I saw, and the and it wasn't just the person, our mutual friend that you were interviewing that inspired me, certainly he did. It was the interaction between the both of you, and I can honestly say if um, that interview kept me going and writing this book, I had reached a point where, um, you, you know, I can say this, if you want to make a lot of money, uh, don't write a book. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but do something else. And um, there was a time that, like, literally, um, I'm going to end up writing a book about the process of writing the book because what has happened in the last few years to me is, is equally amazing as what I wrote about uh, before in a different direction. But I, um, I, I, had, I think it was, like, what I would probably consider about halfway through the book, and I don't even know if I realized that at the time, but I, my gas light's blinking. I have one cigarette left, I haven't eaten in a day, and I have $3 in my pocket. And I'm like, you know, I left a job where I was making good money. And at this point, I'm not doing any speaking gigs because I didn't feel genuine speaking anymore until I could really tell my story. And I was, to be honest, I was also tired of speaking for corporations that are just so politically correct that if I say fuck, they freak out. And um, I, I'm just not big into, like, words in that sense. I'm big into words. I think we empower some words too much. And right. um, 
it, it's I, I was just like, what am I doing? You know, what, and, and I, I help a couple of family members, you know, financially and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? It'd be so much easier if I just went back to my job or anything. I mean, no, I'm making nothing at this point. I've sold all my shit that's worth anything. You know, I mean, like I, the only thing that's left that I could sell at that point would have been I, I don't I have like this awesome nice fancy laptop now, but at the point that point it was like this is little netbook. I'm writing my and it, like well I would have gotten twenty bucks for that. Like I was done. <laughs> And so I'm like, okay, and I just kind of did my positive thing, and I started goofing off on the Internet to distract myself so I don't, you know, freak out. And I stumbled upon this interview, and hearing your all's words, I just immediately, right afterwards, thought, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm not quitting. You know, I'm not quitting. And, and I can honestly say to all, you know, your fans and all the people who are loyal to you, you know, and to all my fans, like there would be no when Jonathan cried for me if I didn't if I did not see that interview on YouTube. I can honestly say that. Wow! Uh, thank you so much. That, that's wild. Uh, that's my, wild. My, my, thank you. I need to be thanking you. Thank you, because uh, you know that that has been the greatest thing in my life. You know, as far as things I've accomplished. And, wow. And, well, let, let me tell everybody that interview was with Gary Goldstein, the producer of the movie Pretty Woman, Under Siege One and Two, and and um, Mothman Prophecies. And it was an interview I did at his home um, with him talking about leaning into fear and how, um, you know, how, they, how, how a journey of failures can lead to success. Um, and, you know, Gary is just, as you've got to know him. I think you interviewed him for the Washington Times because he came out with a new book recently. Yeah. Um, he's just an, an amazing man, a wonderful okay. friend, and uh, a great interview. <laughs> yeah, oh. He is in, yes, he is. He's, he was delightful to talk to. The man is generous with his time, and we talked for over two hours, and that's normal for me when I click with someone, especially for an interview. That's going to give me the best interview if you're not in a hurry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and which is better for everyone. But uh, I can say that I, I have been honored to meet, you know, several celebrities. I, I Some of them I do consider friends. He is one of the ones that... Um, I can honestly go on record and say as far as the level he's at of what he's accomplished, he is so amazing for being so humble and generous with his time and accessible when you're in his life. And, you know, I'd like to think that no matter how big I get, I'll always kind of remain like that. And, and, you know, I know you um, will too. And it's just an inspiration. Just the way he is is an inspiration. But, yeah, those were wise words, and I'm – I don't know if we could say his name or not, so I'm glad you did. But, yeah, like, definitely, man, everyone out there, Google the, the interview between J.W. and Gary Goldstein. And, and then Google the interview I did with him. But um, Google that first. It is inspirational. It changed my life. It really did. I mean, I was the positive guy at the time, but, you know, I was starting to lose it. It's like, shit. You know, I am 30-something, you know, and I'm fucking living like I'm some sort of hippie without the cool drugs. You know, like, uh, I, I was losing it, and, and you guys, I was like, man, this is awesome, and it just lit another fire underneath me to be like, okay, I don't know how it's going to work out, but it is, and I'm just going to do this, and I think, you know, I'm really glad I did, really. Well, I, I, I so appreciated you telling us that, because, you know, just being, just having something you put out there inspire somebody or, or change somebody is just, you know, it's it's what we live for, right? And it's so, I so appreciate that you came forward. You know how many people will write me a letter and say, you know, you, I really love that interview. I love what you do. And it's like, well, could you go to the page and hit hit like or something? That would really be nice. 
I hear you. You know, like, that's what's so funny is I have all these readers and all that. I'm not bitching. It's just, it's, it's kind of funny to me. It's like, well, can you follow me on Twitter then? You know, can you? Yeah, do me a favor, you know. I mean, I really appreciate that you appreciate me. You know, show me some love. Show me some mm -hmm. social media love there. Yes, exactly. And I, I, when people are not in the position we're in, I don't think they realize what that means to us. When they yeah, that's that. true. You know, you can't you can't hold them. Social uh, media is a very weird weird deal, is. and people don't understand it. No, they don't. I don't fully. I mean, I, social media, for the record, has made my career. Like I, 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 it sounds so odd. I'm thinking a company, but props to Twitter. Twitter single-handedly like uh, changed my life on many levels, and you right. know, it's amazing. But it is a kooky thing, and I get it because I've been on the other side, and it's like, oh, okay, no, I'm not going to to subscribe to your YouTube channel. Now I'm like, so please subscribe to my YouTube channel, you know, and I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always try to support people as best I can. Like as soon as the talent, whether I'm managing them or not, as soon as they enter my life, I'm like, hey, send me all your. You know, I'm a big pay it forward kind of guy. I'm also a big karma guy, and I'm like, send me all of your stuff that I can like and tweet or do whatever you need me to do. You know, and, right. and yeah. So anyone listening out there, like our shit. <laughs> like our shit. That's a good one. Hey Carter, it's coming close to the. Uh, we're coming up on the hour here, or a little. We've actually passed it because we always do when we talk. Um, I want to end with, I, I know, I'm guessing writing has always been a passion of yours. I don't know when that started with you, if you always journaled or whatever. Um, but for other authors, a lot of authors come to this site, um, and you've done a book and you've had issues. Um, can you tell me maybe what the most you know, important part, is it the writing, is it the editing, is it the, the promotion, is it the, is it the distribution and publishing? What are the, what's the most important thing about getting your book out there? But, you know, the important, um, what's the most important step is the question. I'm sorry. It, 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 I think that the first step is, that, that's a great question. And as far as people who are maybe struggling on, well, what do I even write about, just start writing. But as far as, like, you have a completed product, um, it, make sure your intention is to write. You know, if you're writing something that's uh, meaningful, meaningful meaning, you know, not a fiction piece, uh, a horror movie or something, uh, or a horror story, which I personally enjoy, but it's, um, you know, if it's like your story or something similar to mine, or like, man, this, this story means a lot to me, realize that if only one person reads it and it affects your life and changes it, it was worth it, and write from your heart. And as far as distribution and all that, I'm still figuring it out. I'll let you know. But um, I, I know that what I, I, I say from a business standpoint to people is that, um, you know, don't plug it too much, meaning like not every tweet you make should be about your book because people will get sick of it. Um, you know, just, just let people know that it's there. Make sure it's accessible to people on your sites and all that. And keep meeting great people that believe in you. And don't be afraid to give your book away. You know, I, I never have like online campaigns if you can get my book free now. For I never do that. But I can tell you I have given my book, both the paperback and the ebook away, way more than people who have bought it. For sure, right. and that has me a lot because I, I, I probably can't say too many names right now because it's not definite. But I can honestly say someone who has a lot of pull has recently read my book, and and uh, they gave me great compliments on it. And um, you know, if I didn't have that attitude of just read it, I don't care if you pay for it or not. You know, um, it wouldn't. Oh yeah, if you're holding out for the money, you're you're pulling a really oh, idiot move, unless yeah, you're already a best-selling so, author. Go wait tables or something because you'll make a lot more. Um, yeah. I feel like 
all of um and if you allow me just a little bit more time before we end i'd like to share one story of everything i'm doing now uh, yeah, you know two things first of all i want you to tell me all the websites that people can get a hold of you at your your email address and stuff and the projects that you want them to know about and then i want you to finish out with the last word okay I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, and, and just in case, like I said, you know, last decade has been pretty hard on my brain cells. Uh, I do want to thank you for your generosity uh, of both your friendship and the time you've given me today. I, I don't take either for granted, and I can honestly say you've made a huge impact in my life, and I know that I'm not the only one. You know, so My absolute pleasure, time. Carter. Thank you so much for all your kind words. You know, my, my, my pleasure, and um, truly. And... Yeah, um, what was the first thing I'm supposed to talk about? Being run oh, out of my brain. No, the first thing I want you to do is, you know, let everybody know where can they can get a hold of you. Let me know. You, you do several things. Uh, I want yeah. to know the websites, where they can get a hold of you, how they can support you in, in, the, in the, your endeavors, um, how people can get a hold of you to, to speak, all those good things, where they can find the book. And then I'd like you to just end up with the last word, you know, your parting thought. Absolutely. Well, that would be I'm your story, I guess. To get a hold of me, and I, I do my best. I, like I said, I'm flattered to say I receive a ton of mail, and, and I appreciate the haters even, because the funny thing is I think the haters pay more attention to me than my fans, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, you know, and um, there's, I mean, there's, I can name several websites. I'll just name the two main ones right now. I'm a chief operating officer. Um, of a company called Veraware, the D as in victory, E-R-A-W-E-A-R.com, Veraware.com. You can see a lot of the stuff I'm doing currently on that website. Um, and the, the CarterLee.com, uh, the CarterLee.com. Between those two, it covers everything I'm doing. Um, kind of a warning out there, I am not geared towards family entertainment or children. So if you offend easily... <laughs> You know, I appreciate your support. You might want to skip it, but uh, Bear Aware is pretty safe. TheCarterLee.com, you'll get a handful. But um, as far as uh, a good email for me, I like my, I like um, what I guess I would call fans to email me at uh, my my book email address, which is Carter at when Jonathan cried for me dot com. Uh, it's Carter at when Jonathan cried for me dot com. Uh, that's when I put in my book. Right. Um, you know, I, I check it every day, you know, twice a day, and I do the best. You know, I, I work all the time, and I have to stay productive because I have goals. But, you know, definitely reach out to me. If I can ever be of assistance, reach out to me. Um, you know, I do a plethora of things, and uh, I, I try to help people no matter with what I do. So, you know, just don't, if you're hurting out there and everything else, you know, I care and other people care. But reach out to me if I can be an outlet for that. You know, I will try to make the time or at least point you in the right direction if I don't have the time. Um, and, you know, I don't say that pompous like, oh, I don't have the time. But obviously there's not enough hours in a day to help everyone who's hurting and to try to make a living and right. to occasionally, you know, maybe have a social life, so, which I'm still working on. But, um, you know, and, and, and kind of like I guess all the projects I'm doing now is kind of like the story I wanted to share because it's amazing. And I'll just kind of run through it quickly, the bottom line of things. But when I was writing my book, something awesome happened. This was after I'd seen your interview, and um, it was sort of like a week later. Um, but I'd taken a break from writing, and I just went on Amazon.com, well, actually, to write more. I took a break from writing my book. And, you know, anyone can leave a review of anything there, you know. And so I was just, I, I left a well-thought review for uh, this, this author friend of mine, a great friend of my dad's, Mary Tabor. Um, she's an amazing author. And I, I wrote this review for her. 
And it just so happens the senior editor of the Washington Times community is a wonderful woman named Jackie Cuban read it. And she loved the way I wrote. And she kind of looked into me a little bit. And she was like, hey, you want your own column, you know? And, of course, yes. And people were like, oh, man, how did you become a columnist for this? You know, I say every day I'm always in the right time, you know, right place at the right time, regardless of how things may appear. And it's amazing. And then that stemmed to so many other things. But I got this um Talking about Twitter, I got this tweet one day from a good friend of mine, now business partner, Angel Rivera, and he tweeted me, and he's like, hey, I read your book. It changed my life, and I really appreciate that, and here I am with this column, and I see that he has this company, Veraware, and I'm proud to say that with him and I working on it, it's now grown to this entertainment dynasty kind of thing, but at the time, it was really just clothing, and you know, here's this guy who's younger and really trying to make a living. And so I'm like, hey, why don't I do a column on you? And that changed his life. He ended up getting over a million, or an article on you, rather. He ended up getting over a million followers and becoming verified. And it connected us to Donald Trump, which is a separate story. But um, it's amazing that we just kept our friendship going. And then you fast forward, and here I am, and just touch base on what I do now. Please, 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 especially for men out there who like beautiful women, check out the Carter's Bombshells. If you go to VeraWare.com, you'll see a Bombshells tab. They're amazing women. Uh, you know, they're, they're, um, if you're an art fan, you know, and you're a fan of Salvador Dali, I actually manage the last living Dali. Her name is Larissa Dali. She co-hosts The Fever with me. A uh, beautiful model, and you know, there's my spokesmodel, Sabrina Signs, and Emma Dudley. I mean, they're all inspirations. And what I pride myself on, and what they pride themselves on, is like I see nothing wrong with um, women, you know, being sex symbols. I didn't, didn't want them objectified. And like, not only do you see beautiful pictures, some that I would consider art, um, you know, like real art, but you click on them and you can read their story and all of their stories, and they're amazing women, and. Um, I, I, we're also working on our first full-length feature film uh, called High Grade, and it's, you know you can imagine what that's about. Um, but that's in the works right now. Um, the show, The Fever. I have a new co-host. Her uh, name is Amanda Nathan. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I'm actually working on a couple projects with Amanda, and it's some good positive projects. And uh, she's going to be helping me out with High Grade along with Angel Rivera. But we're working on this thing called Say It's Ford. And she does stick figure art, which sounds funny to say, like stick figure art. But it's adorable. She's an amazing young woman. Uh, I'm still getting to know her. I've admired her for a while. I'm so flattered and honored that I can actually work with her now. And she's an inspiration. I, and, I, you know, if I had time, I'd list all the inspirations. But just check them out. They're wonderful women. I'll have something on a man that's really just a new connection. But um, you'll see her coming, and you'll see a couple pictures of her on the website. But she's amazing, and you can't judge a book by its cover because a lot of these women you look at and be like, oh, I bet she's a snob. Or, look, that one's covered in tattoos. I bet she only watches, you know, Harley-Davidson shows. And, and nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, like these are just, they're not, none of them are snobby. They're down to earth. Um, you know, I, I'm proud to call them friends, much less people I represent. And there's just so many things going on. Now, I always forget to plug something and say out there, <laughs> anyone in my life that I'm trying to help their career with. But the thing I pride myself on, I consider myself an entertainer, definitely. I always have been. Uh, no matter what I do, there's positivity behind it, and I don't represent anyone who's not a, an inspiration, in my opinion. You know, I want it to be a, we're trying to change the fashion industry. It doesn't have to be negative. Um, it can be very positive. You know, and I can be offensive on a fever and make my crude jokes and everything else, but, you know, behind the scenes on everything, and when you click on the links, it's positivity and love, and I, I hope 
other entertainment factions start doing this type of stuff because, you know, it's, I, I can't stand it when you go to a website and you see half-naked chicks. That I can stand. Always love that. But then it's, you know, nothing about them. You know, it's like, oh, a hot chick in a thong and then on to the next one, you know, and there's no art behind it. There's right. no thought process behind it. And I just wonder stories told. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. But I can't wait to show you what Amanda and I are working on. I know you're going to love it, JW. It, it's some good stuff. And, um yeah, and you and you know I have some things. I, you know, we've brought up some things together. So I don't know if you'll see anything from us in the future. Actually, I do know you will, but we haven't named it yet. Um, but I'm yeah. actually really excited to work with you on a couple things myself. Uh, yeah. And I think we have a lot of topics here to explore and um, just amazing uh, I, stuff that can come I, out of I, uh, uh, a collaboration wait. between the both of us. So I'm excited uh, about absolutely. that. I can't wait. And, and as far as you know, the last word or whatever. Um, it's kind of what's trying to sort just like one thing leads to another. You know, one tweet changed my life, and, um, you know, just writing that one review changed my life. And it's the, the people are like, what is the secret of your success? I didn't try to figure it out. I didn't say, okay, today I'm going to do A, B, and C, and then all of a sudden I'll get 10,000 followers and I'll be a public personality. It wasn't like that. I, I'm big into just going with the flow of where the often we get in our minds so much we're resisting this push of what I'd call the universe or life taking us in a direction. No. Well, if I do this and I do this, just, just enjoy the ride. And if I had tried to figure this all out, we wouldn't be talking right now. I'm sure I'd be back to either just speaking for corporations and, and – uh, which is just dismal, or, you know, waiting tables or something and bartending or wrestling. Like, you just go with the flow of life. I could not have predicted my life would be like this. I could not have. If you would have told me six years ago when I was a fat guy with a shotgun in my mouth that I'd be friends with JW, I'd be friends with Gary Goldstein, you know, I'd write a book, I'd be an inspiration, I'd manage a bunch of beautiful models, I would have asked you to go ahead and pass me what you're smoking. There's, <laughs> there's just no way I would have fathomed this, you know. And um, I, I know a lot of times I come off as cocky, and that's, that's, I don't mind that because I, that to me is like me saying, well, yeah, I, I do that as almost like a badge of pride where it's like I'm not supposed to be this guy. Any of my cockiness does not come from any of my fans or success or anything going to my head. That's just me finally having an ego, and I wear right. it with pride, um, and I think more people should. It, it's there's not a day that doesn't go by that there's not this little kid in me jumping down, up and down inside me like, oh, I can't believe I'm living this life, you know. It's, I never take it for granted and just don't try to, you know, any entertainer out there, any artist, it doesn't matter what genre, don't try to, doesn't mean you shouldn't have a good game plan, but don't try to map out exactly how you're going to, in quotes, make it or what's going to get you bigger as much as just keep doing it and trusting in your energy and your ability and it just kind of comes together. It's really weird and magical and it's awesome and it's a great ride. You know, don't worry about the ending, enjoy the ride. No, wow, I love that because every for all you goal setters out there, this is this is something you should listen to right here, and that is, um, you know, you set your goals and you set your path. That's uh, that's all important stuff. I wouldn't argue that. But what uh, Carter just talked about is be, the way to be open to the best opportunities is <laughs> is not to be so stuck on your path that you can't see these opportunities pop up. Yes, exactly. Um, this is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine. We're speaking to Carter Lee, uh, thecarterlee.com. Is that correct? Yes. Go check out Carter Lee. He's, um, he's a staff writer with the Washington Times. He has a column there, uh, which is very successful and uh, has a lot of followers. 
Um, catch him on Twitter. Um, I'm, where are you at? What on Twitter? Uh, the Carter Lee. At the Carter Lee on Twitter. Check him out on Facebook. Uh, check out his book, um, and you can get that at Amazon. Or I'd, he'd probably rather you bought it on his site because he makes more money that way. Is that true? When Jonathan cried for me. Yeah. Yes, and I actually yanked it from Amazon. I'm not a fan of how they treat independent writers, and uh, oh yeah, made some money, but f them. Um, I don't know why I just censor myself. Fuck them. Fuck Amazon. Um, <laughs> it, it's this whole interview on cursing, and then I say half at the end. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, when Jonathan cried for me. dot com, and you can get the uh, all three versions of the ebook there or the paperback there. There's on a couple other websites, but yes, please, if you like to support um, artists. Go always go directly to their website. It helps them out a lot. But Absolutely, um, and it, it, it's a neat little site because you know Fox News twenty six and a little expose on me, and you can see that there. And you know, I try to keep it entertaining there. And um, you know, write to me, folks, and then let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, even if you think wonderful, in health, let me know. <laughs> okay, it sounds like I'm cutting you off. I'm getting, we're cutting me off on that hour, so I, so I guess I am pushing you. I apologize, Carter, because I could talk. To, you know, I could talk to you for another hour. And actually, we're gonna we're gonna do some. <laughs> we probably will. Um, we're about to. <laughs> we're about to. So hey, so stay on the line for me, um, and I'm going to go ahead and close out. I just want to tell everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine. We're, uh, what a wonderful day we've had with Carter Lee. This is a, this is a guy who's, you know, he's come through the roughness and, uh, come out, um, you know, uh, full of hope, gratitude, and positiveness on the other side, and he helps people, um, you know, he just wants to help and, 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 uh, other people find those same things. He's a great speaker, he's a comedian, he's a great writer. Check him out. And, um, I just want to wish everybody a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our Made in Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Made in Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.